Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Welcome to Let Us Attend number 10. We are on page 224, so make sure we've got a liturgy book and a handout, please. Okay, last week we went through the fraction, okay, and sorry, we went through the seven litanies, seven small litanies, then we went through the, oh, they're not really called small litanies, the seven litanies, then we went through the commemoration of the saints and praying for the departed, and then we went through the fraction. Now we are towards the end of the liturgy, leading up to communion, we are at page 224, okay? So today, we're going to go through a lot of the secret or inaudible prayers that you may not hear during the liturgy that the priest says um, immediately before communion, okay? So let's go through the prayers first, and then we'll look at the handout. So we're on page 224. So what happens at the end of the fraction, the priest leads the congregation into the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. And that's very old in the liturgy. It's an ancient part of the liturgy. St. Cyril of Jerusalem in the 4th century mentions, and even before them, but at least looking at St. Cyril of Jerusalem, in the 4th century he mentions that we say Our Father. And then at the end of Our Father, you remember the deacons will go, and they'll go for a while. What are they saying? They're saying the last part of the prayer that we say in the, in the Coptic Church, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Obviously, when Christ said, when Christ gave the disciples the Our Father prayer, the end didn't say in Christ Jesus our Lord. We added it to, as a reminder to pray in the name of Christ. So at the end of the liturgy, we chant in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then the priest says a number of inaudible prayers. Meanwhile, the deacon is saying, Simon, bow your heads to the Lord, and you reply before you are Lord. And then he goes, let us attend in the fear of God. And the priest says, peace be with you and with your spirit. All these tunes are a little bit long to give the priest some time to say the prayers. So let's read the prayers because you may have not read them before because usually the priest prays them. So page 224. The first is a prayer addressed to the Father. He says, Yea, we ask you, Holy Father, the good one, who loves goodness, lead us not into temptation, nor let any iniquity rule over us, but deliver us from the worthless works and from the thoughts, motions, sights, and touches thereof. So he's referring to the part of the Lord's Prayer at the end. Destroy the tempter and drive him away from us. Rebuke also his movements implanted in us and cut off from us the impulses which drag us into sin. And deliver us by your holy power in Christ Jesus our Lord, through him the glory, the honor, dominion, etc., glorification to the Holy Trinity. So specifically, he says, through whom the glory, honor, dominion, and worship are due unto you, the Father, with him, Christ, and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is one essence with you, now all times and to the ages of ages. Amen. Because he's praying to the Father, he's addressing it to the Father, he says, through whom the glory, honor, dominion, and worship are due unto you, the Father, with him, who's him? Jesus Christ, because he was just referring to Jesus Christ at the bottom. And the Holy Spirit, who is the giver of life, who is one essence with you now, all times, unto the ages, ages. Amen. So this is a nice prayer. It's titled here, The Prayer After Our Father. And it takes some parts of the Lord's Prayer and extends upon it, um, the priest extends upon it in prayer, asking God to destroy the tempter, drive him away from us, rebuke the movements implanted in us, etc. Then the second prayer. The graces of the beneficence of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, are fulfilled. 
We have confessed his saving passion. We have proclaimed his death. We have believed in his resurrection and the mystery is accomplished. So this is the anamnesis that we are talking about in number eight. When the priest says, um, when, you, when you say, Amen, 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 your death, O Lord, we proclaim, your holy resurrection, etc. He is saying, we have already done that. We give thanks to you, O Lord God, the Pantocrator, for your mercy is great upon us. For you have prepared for us those things which the angels desire to behold, the Eucharist. Turn the page. We ask and entreat your goodness, the lover of mankind, that since you have purified us all, remember we were purified when the Holy Spirit descended on us, in number eight as well, the Epiclesis. Since you have purified us all, do you guys remember when the Holy Spirit, when the priest prays for the descent of the Holy Spirit? Let's jog up your memory. If we could just turn very quickly to page. If we just turn very quickly to page 196. Page 196, towards the end. He says, while kneeling with hands stretched forth, the priest prays, says the prayer of the descent of the Holy Spirit, the Epiclesis. And he says, We ask you, O Lord our God, we your sinful and unworthy servants, worship you by the pleasure of your, your goodness, that your Holy Spirit may descend upon us. So remember he says upon us first. And upon these gifts, pointing to the bread and the wine, set forth. And purify them, change them, and manifest them as a sanctification of your saints. So all these words, purify, change, manifest them as a sanctification of your saints, apply to us. So on page 226, when he says, since you have purified us all, the priest is referring to that. After you have purified us, you join us to yourself through our partaking of your divine mysteries. Emphasizing that when we partake of the holy body and the precious blood, we are joined to Christ. That we may become filled with your Holy Spirit and confirmed in your upright faith, having been filled with, this is nice, the longing for your true love. May we speak of your glory at all times in, G in Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom the glory, the honor, dominion, etc. I really like the part where he says, having been filled with the longing of your true love, may we speak of your glory at all times in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's the second prayer. Okay? Then the third. O Master, now by the way, this prayer is titled the Prayer of Absolution, addressed to the Father. The deacon has previously asked us to bow our heads. So when we bow our heads, it's usually a, it's usually a time for absolution. At the end of Vespers, which we prayed right now, at the end the deacon said, bow your heads. Everyone bowed their heads and then the priest said the absolution. The same one that he says on your, when he puts his hand on the cross on your head, when you confess. Exactly the same absolution, the one that you just heard prayed now, is exactly the same one that he says during confession. So now because he's also praying a prayer of absolution, we have our heads bowed down. He says, O Master, Lord God, the Pantocrator, the healer of our souls, bodies, and our spirits. Remember we said healing is a theme throughout the whole liturgy. Okay, the church is the hospital, Christ is the physician, the Eucharist is the medicine. O Master, Lord God, the Pantocrator, the healer of our souls, bodies, and spirits, you are he who said to our father Peter, so St. Peter the, the disciple, from the mouth of your only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heavens, 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in the heavens. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in the heavens. So this is the authority that's given to all priests through the laying of hands of the bishop, that whatever they bind on earth are bound, is bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. So when the priest prays the absolution on you, your sins are loosed on earth and in heaven. Okay? So he's recounting where the priest has this authority. So through the laying of the hands of the bishop on the head of the priest, he has the authority to bind and to loose. That's why we go up to the priest for absolution in the sacrament of confession and repentance. So why does the bishop have the authority? Remember we said, like our bishop, Ambassuriel, was ordained a bishop by Pope Schnurra, who was ordained a bishop by Pope Krolos, and he could trace it all the way back to St. Mark. That's called apostolic succession. Okay? So he has the authority because there's a direct link with Christ, literally through the laying of the hands. If you ever watch the ordination of a bishop, the deacons cry out, the, the archdeacon cries out and says, Oh, you bishops, come and lay your hands. And all the bishops will congregate around the bishop being ordained, and they put his hands on him. At the ordination of a priest, the bishop literally has to put his hands on his head. Okay? Turn the page. So after he recounts where he got authority, he says, Therefore, O Lord, let your servants, my fathers, and my brethren, and look how he refers to himself, and my own weakness, be absolved by my mouth through your Holy Spirit, a good one and lover of mankind. So the priest, we said, has no authority on his own. It's the authority of Christ. And that's why he says, be absolved by my, by my mouth, but through your Holy Spirit. O God, who takes away the sin of the world, hasten, be quick, to accept the repentance of your servants for the light of knowledge and forgiveness of sins. And then he says, for you are compassionate and merciful God. You are patient. Your mercy is great and true. Beautiful. Lovely prayer. He says, God, God, you are compassionate, you are merciful, you are patient, your mercy is great and true. Please have mercy on us and remove from us our sin. If we have sinned against you, either by, either by word or by deeds, pardon us and forgive us as the good one and lover of mankind. Okay, so a lot of, many times we call God the lover of mankind. Oh God, absolve us and absolve all your people. And then it says here, here he remembers those whom he wishes to remember from the living and the dead, and then continues to say. So sometimes the priest here will go silent while he's remembering people that have asked to pray for him, that has asked him to pray for them. So if you ever hand in a paper to the altar with a list of names to, for a Buddha to pray, at this time, sometimes he may read that, those names and pray um, for those people. Once he's, he's done that, he says a prayer, another prayer. He continues that one, it's under the same heading. He says, remember, O Lord, my own weakness. So look how the priest refers to himself. The whole liturgy, he calls himself weak, sinful, unprepared, not worthy. Okay? He never says that he's worthy, ever. My weakness, and forgive my sins. And where transgression has abounded, so where there's a lot of transgression, let your grace be multiplied in abundance. Because of my own sins, listen this carefully, because of my own sins and the abomination of my heart, deprive not the people of the grace of your Holy Spirit. That's nice. He says, God, I'm really bad. But because of me, please, God, don't deprive everyone here of the grace of your Holy Spirit. Now, if you remember, there was a heresy that came out where some of the priests at the time of persecution who gave in and worshipped the idols, and then when the time of persecution was over, they came back to the church. People thought that because these priests 
had given up the faith in light of persecution and then come back was a, of scared, etc., of martyrdom, some people thought the, the sacrament that this priest is praying is not real. How could the bread become the body if this priest did this? And then the church very strongly said that's not true. The sacrament happens not because of the priest himself, but because of the grace that the priest is given. So it doesn't matter what the priest has done or is doing. It's the grace that the priest is given that makes this sacrament authentic. Okay? So he says, Because of my own sins, don't deprive the people of the grace of your Holy Spirit. O God, absolve us, and absolve all your people from every sin, every curse, every denial, every false oath, from every encounter with the heretics and the heathen. O our Master, Grant us a reason and power and understanding to flee unto the end from any evil deed of the adversary and grant us to do what is pleasing to you at all times. Turn the page, this is nice. Inscribe, write, our names with all the choir of your saints in the kingdom of the heavens, in Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom the glory, the honor, dominion, etc. By the way, if anyone doesn't have a handout, they're at the back. Okay? And then after those beautiful prayers, which I think are very, very deep, the priest then silently prays the three short prayers for the peace of the church, the peace of the patriarch and the bishops, and then at the end he says out loud, remember, O Lord, our assemblies bless them. So the priest for the, the, the prayer for the assemblies. So I just want you to turn to page... So in the liturgy of St. Gregory, there are different prayers before, at this time. And the liturgy of St. Cyril, there's also different ones. But I want to highlight this very, very beautiful prayer, prayer of submission addressed to the Father in the liturgy of St. Cyril. Okay? I think personally this is a nice prayer that at night when you're, when you're doing your prayers or in the morning, if you want something like a little bit different, you might want to type this up and maybe pray it in your own personal prayers. I think it's very nice. The priest says, O God, who loved us so and granted us the rank of sonship, so as to be called sons of God, and as such we are indeed heirs of you, O God the Father and joint heirs of your Christ. This is nice. We are sons of God by adoption. We are sons and daughters of the King by adoption. That means we're royalty. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hearken to us, we who bow our heads to you, and cleanse our inner man, according to the manner in which your only begotten Son is holy. He is the one we intend to take hold of. Because we're just about to have communion. Then look at this. Indeed, may fornication and every defiled thought flee from us for the sake of God who is of the Virgin. So he'll mention a sin and he'll mention a reason why and like something opposite. So he mentions fornication and he says, for the sake of God who is of the Virgin, the Virgin Mary. Pride also which is early evil, which is the early evil, which is arrogance. So get rid of pride for the sake of him who alone humbled himself for our sake. So there's contrast. Fear for the sake of him who suffered in the flesh on our behalf and established the victory of the cross. So get rid of fear because we have the victory of the cross. We're not afraid anymore. Vainglory for the sake of him who was buffeted and scourged for our sake and turned not his face away from the shame of spitting. So whenever I remember vainglory, whenever I think I'm getting puffed up or self-righteous. I remember he who was whipped and slapped on his face for our sake. Envy, murder, division, and hatred for the sake of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
anger and the remembrance of vice for the sake of him who nailed the handwriting of our sins to the cross. The demons and the devil may they flee for the sake of him who made a public spectacle of the evil principalities and disarmed the authorities of darkness. May every evil earthly thought be far from us for the sake of him who ascended into the heavens. So that in this manner, in purity, we may partake of these pure mysteries and be purified, brought to completion, all of us, in our souls, bodies, and spirits, having become partakers of the body, partakers of the form, and partakers in the succession of your Christ. This is he with whom you are blessed, the Holy Spirit, the giver of life, who is of one essence to you now, all times, unto the age of ages. Amen. Absolutely beautiful prayer. Okay? So they're the private prayers. Okay, so usually at this time your heads are bowed and you can't hear this because Abuna says them inaudibly. Okay? We're back to page 230. Now I've put some photos on your handouts for this part because I couldn't get my hands on Urbana today. So I want you just to imagine this is the altar. Okay? And we have the pattern with the body of Christ here and the chalice over here. Okay? So after that, the priest says, Remember, O Lord, our assemblies, bless them. And then the deacon says, Saved, Amen, and with your spirit in the fear of God, let us attend. So when he says, Let us attend, what does that mean? Pay attention. Why? Because something is important. It's just about to happen. Something big. Okay? So he's, in the last few pages, he said, Let us attend twice. When he says, Bros chomen, it means let us attend in the fear of God. And now he said, let us attend. So something big is about to happen. What happens? Then the people say, Amen, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy, Lord of mercy. So follow the photos here, please. Okay? Remember last week when we were doing the fraction, we said the middle part, spadikon or despotikon, the middle part is separated. Okay? Which you could see in the picture here. The middle part of the urbana, the part that represents Christ. Okay? It says, the priest takes in his hands the despoticorn and raises it up to arm's length. And with a bowed head, he exclaims aloud. So this, these words in the Coptic liturgy, if you look at the tune, the priest goes in a very high pitch. Really, 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 really high pitch. The highest pitch that he goes throughout the whole liturgy. Okay? He, yelled, he exclaims, the hollies for the holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. So what does he do as he says that? He lifts it up. He, as you could see in the first picture, he elevates it above the blood. He crosses it over. Okay? And then he dips it into the blood, raises it and crosses it again, as you could see in the second photo. And then he crosses the body with the despoticon that has the blood on it, as you could see here. So he raises it, crosses the chalice, dips it, crosses the chalice again, and then he does the sign of the cross with it on the body. Okay, let's read that in red. The people worship before the Lord with fear and trembling, praying for the forgiveness of their sins with tears and supplication. Then the priest takes the despoticon between the tips of two fingers of his right hand, and with it he signs the precious blood inside the chalice in the form of a cross. Then he dips the extremity of it inside the chalice and carefully raises it soaked in the blood, and with it signs in the form of the cross the pure body, which is all on the pattern. Then he takes the despoticon and signs with it the blood inside the chalice in the form of the cross. He then carefully... Uh, this comes later. He then carefully places the despoticon upside down in the blood inside the chalice. 
etc. So, what's going on here? The priest has said, the hollies for the holly. Okay? The hollies are for the holly. Who's the holly? All right, let's go back. What are the hollies? So when he says the hollies, what's he referring to? The body and the blood. Okay, so these are the hollies. For the holly. Who are holly? Who's the holly? Okay, so if I came up to you right now and said you're holly, what would your response be? Sorry? What? Can't hear. Good joke. Good joke. What else? If I come to you and you're holly, what would you say? What are you talking about, Buna? Holly. So, so he says, the hollies are for the holly. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. I'm in. So the people replying to the priest, calling them holly, are like, one is the all-holy Father. One is the all-holy Son. One is the all-holy Spirit. In other words, they're trying to say, only one is holy, the Father. Only one is holy, the Son. Only one is holy, the Holy Spirit. Trying to say, Abuna, stop. Okay. You've just called us holy, you're wrong. And they yell out, one is the Holy Father, one is the Holy Son, one is the Holy Spirit. And again, if you look at the Coptic tune, the people go high pitch in this part. Okay? We once tried it and our voice is nearly cracked, okay? Because we're not really good at high pitch, okay? And then Abuna turns around and says, peace be with you all and with your spirit. Okay? So this is a very important part of the liturgy. It's very old as we will see right now when we read the readings that I've got for you. So it says, the hollies are for the holy. Why has he called you holy? Because the Holy Spirit has descended upon us. Okay? The hollies are for the holy. And then you yell out, one is the Holy Father. One is the Holy Son. One is the Holy Spirit. And then, peace be with you on with your spirit. Then he confesses, the holy body and the precious true blood of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Amen. The holy precious body and the true blood of Jesus Christ, Son of God, Amen. Again, these two, very high pitch, and the Amens keep going higher in pitch. Okay, so we're, getting to, we're, we're, we're going to a point. We're ascending something. While he says these two parts, with the body, the despoticon, which has the blood on it, he is touching all over the body. Some people say, you know where the fraction was, where we broke last week? At the wounds of the body, he's touching it with the blood. So if any of the deacons remember, they would see the despoticorn with blood on it being touched on all over the body. Okay? As you could see in this photo here. Okay? So it's touching all over the body. Now why he does that, we'll get to that in a sec. Alright? And then finally he says, the body and the blood of Emmanuel our God, this is true, Amen. And he places the despoticorn upside down in the chalice as you could see in this picture here at the end. Okay? So I'll just recap what happened. The hollies are for the holy. Blessed be the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God. The sanctification is by the Holy Spirit. Amen. One is the Holy Father, one is the Holy Son, one is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you all and with your spirit. The holy body and the precious true blood of Jesus Christ, Son of our God. Amen. Amen. The holy Precious body and the true blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of our God. Amen. Amen. The body and the blood of Emmanuel, our God. This is true. Amen. And then you say, Amen, I believe. Okay? Before we get to the confession, let's read what's happening here. First page, please, of your handout. If you haven't got a handout, there are some at the back. 
Saint Cyril of Jerusalem, 4th century. Okay, so we're talking just over 1,600 years ago. He says, Next, the priest says, Holy things for the holy. Exactly what we just said right now. He continues, Holy are the offerings after they have received the visitation of the Holy Spirit, and you are holy after you have been privileged to receive the Holy Spirit. So holy things and holy persons correspond. Next you say, one is holy, one is Lord Jesus Christ. For truly one is holy, holy by nature. We are also holy, not indeed by nature, but by participation, asceticism and prayer. He just explains that part beautifully. What century? Fourth century. So we're still doing it today, which means this is older than the fourth century. Okay? Turn the page, please. We'll come back to that. Father Alexander Schmemann, first paragraph. He comments on peace be with you all. Peace be with you all, says the celebrant, and then bow your heads unto the Lord. Communion, as also the whole life of the church, is the fruit of the peace achieved by Christ. I'll say that again. Canonia, as the, also the whole life of the church, because communion means canonia. So remember, we've been going through canonia every week. Canonia, as also the whole life of the church, is the fruit of the peace achieved by Christ. The bowing of head, heads is the simplest, yet the essential act of worship, the very right of obedience. We receive canonia in obedience and by obedience. We have no right to it. So we can't demand communion. It transcends all our desires and possibilities. It can only be a free gift of God. And we must be ordered to receive it. So we don't take communion, we receive communion. Okay? Now, why does Abuna dip the despoticon into the blood and do that? Okay? So... Simple and then historical reason, okay? I'm not claiming that this is a very comprehensive research of, the, of what happens, but I found one reference that explains a possible reason, okay? So a lot of the time people say this is to show that this body belongs to this blood. Hence, the body is dabbed with part of the body that has the blood on it, okay? So sometimes... By the time you have communion, it's, it's actually like soaked through the body. But if any of the deacons remember, a lot of the time you look at the body and you'll see bits of the blood all over it, especially at the wounds. Okay? They're saying that this body belongs to this blood. But there's also a historical hypothesis suggested by a scholar called Gregory Dix, um, who wrote a book on the liturgies. Okay? So if you turn the page. So this is a historical point, which I found pretty interesting, so I thought I'd share it. A more innocent and meaningful custom which arose earlier was that of placing a fragment of the broken bread in the chalice, for this reason which I just explained, to show that they are not separable, that they are one in power, and that they vouchsafe the same grace to those who receive them. Okay? And then he talks about another historical fact. Okay? It seems to me likely, but not demonstrable, so this is an academic writing, that its historical origin lay in the custom of the fermentum. What's the fermentum? He explains it. The fermentum is the name given to the fragment of the consecrated bread brought from the bishop's Eucharist to that of the priest celebrating the sacrament at a lesser ecclesia elsewhere in token of the bishop's Eucharistic presidency of his whole church. What does that mean? Since this is the last one, let's remember the first one that we did, first letter to ten. 
we said that the priest prays the liturgy on behalf of who? The bishop. The bishop. Okay, so he's suggesting, Gregory Dix, that at one time, the bishop would place part of the body in his chalice, and then that would be sent to the different churches where a priest is praying to show that as a church, we are in communion with the bishop. Now, practically, I don't know how that worked. I'm not sure. But let's imagine it like this. Imagine there are 10 liturgies in Melbourne. His Grace, Ambassador Real, is praying a liturgy at St. Mark's Church, for example. According to the rite of the fermentum, Sayedna would place bits of the body into the blood, and that will be brought here, where if we are praying a liturgy, we would place that in the chalice, I believe, to show that we are in communion with the bishop. And we're all in communion with each other. That's what he's suggesting. Just a historical fact, if you like it, okay? If not, that's okay. It's, continue. It seems that the fermentum was placed in the chalice by the priest at this point. The custom of the fermentum, which goes back at least to the early years of the second century, died out comparatively in the east, probably in the fourth century, though it lasted on at Rome to the eighth or ninth century. It seems possible that when the bread from the bishop's Eucharist ceased to be brought to the eastern priest, to be placed in his chalice, a fragment from the bread consecrated by the priest himself may have been substituted. In unthinking continuance of the old custom, and then a new symbolic meaning was afterward found for its new form, as so often happens in liturgical history. So what he's trying to say is, maybe we do this because of that reason, but then what we're doing is we're adding a reason to it. So for example, candles are used here. Okay, obviously the symbolic of Christ as the light of the world, of angels, but also at one time probably they needed light to see. So sometimes we could impose a theological reason. I'm, just, I'm not sure if that's accurate with candles, I'm just using that as an example. But for here, he is suggesting that this used to happen and then the practice discontinued. So when it happens, we say, mm, the reason that this happens is to say that this body belongs to this blood. But he's not discounting that. He says it's a valuable, um, valuable symbolic Meaning. Okay? We're going for time. Okay, good. All right, then we get to the confession. The priest raises the body in his hand in the pattern, so holds the pattern up, and he says the final confession. He says, Amen, 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 I believe, I believe, and confess to the last breath that this is the life giving flesh that your only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, took from our Lady, the Lady of us all, the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary, confessing that this is truly the body and the blood of Christ, not symbolic. He, Christ, made it one, what's one, humanity, with his divinity. So he's fully human, fully divine, without mingling, without confusion and without alteration. Some people, for example, accuse us of believing in uh, being monophysites, which means that we believe in one nature, which is like saying that the body and the, uh, the humanity and the divinity was mixed together. We don't believe in that. I'll talk about what we believe in a second. So he says, humanity and divinity united without mingling, without confusion, without alteration. He confessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He gave it up for us upon the holy wood of the cross of his own will for us all. Truly I believe that his divinity parted not from his humanity for a single moment nor twinkling of an eye. Given for us, for salvation, remission of sins and eternal life to those who partake of him, I believe, I believe, I believe that this is true, amen. So he's confessing, like this is at the end. He's raising the body and he's confessing that this is truly the body and the blood of Christ. So the deacon replies, 
Amin, Amin, Amin. I believe, I believe, I believe that this is true, Amin. Then he tells you to do something. Pray for us and for all Christians who said to us concerning them, remember us in the house of the Lord. So if someone goes to you, remember me when you go to church, the deacon is asking you to pray for them. Remember us when you go into the house of the Lord. The peace and love of Jesus Christ be with us, with you all. Let us sing Alleluia, because we're just about to say the psalm. Pray for the worthy partaking of the immaculate, heavenly and holy mysteries. Lord have mercy. Okay, and that's the end. Then we go into communion. So let's talk about humanity and divinity. Okay? Under the paragraph Cyril of Alexandria, the heading, sorry, second paragraph. So St. Cyril uses a formula which is the one incarnate nature of God, the Word. If we read, St. Cyril rejects any attempt to refer to two natures after the union. Okay, so this is, if you're really interested in this, there's a subject on this in the Theological College this semester called the Christological Teaching of the Church of Alexandria. Very interesting, okay? And this is sort of what sort of started the split between the Eastern Orthodox and the Oriental Orthodox Church in 451 AD, but there's a lot of political things about it, which we won't go into now. But very simply, St. Cyril prefers to say, one incarnate nature of God the Word. Trying to say that Christ is fully human, fully divine, Humanity and divinity united together without mingling, confusion, alteration. Like, if you, get a piece of hot iron, if you get a piece of iron and you heat it up, has the heat affected the iron? No, it's still iron. Has the iron affected the heat? No. It's still hot. It's still heat. So the two haven't affected each other. That's the analogy that he uses. He doesn't want to use the words two natures because that might denote separation. People accuse us of thinking that the humanity and divinity fused together. The problem with that is people say, okay, if you're comparing humanity and divinity, divinity is like the ocean and humanity is a drop of vinegar. If you put a drop of vinegar in the ocean, you can pretty much ignore that it exists. So we don't, we don't believe that. We use the words, one incarnate nature of God, the Word. He's fully human, fully divine. Humanity and divinity united together without mingling confusion or alteration. Okay, that's a very short explanation of that. But we're saying that Christ is fully human, fully divine. We don't like to say two natures, although we can say two natures if we explain what we mean by it. Okay, but we don't also just say one nature. We say one incarnate nature of God the Word. Fully human, fully divine. So humanity and divinity united together without mingling, confusion or alteration. This is the contentious point between us and the Eastern Orthodox Church. The Eastern Orthodox Church likes to use the terminology two natures, but they don't mean two separate natures. A lot of people agree that we mean the same thing, okay? But that's a 1,500-year rift which we pray we heal. We'll heal, okay? So that's just a very small explanation. But if you want to find out more, we could talk about this um, a little bit later. So last, last sentence of that paragraph it is a true union between two different natures, humanity and divinity, as affirmed in the Coptic liturgy, which states, he made it, humanity, one with his own, without mingling, confusion, or alteration. One incarnate nature of God, the Word. Okay? Then, as the deacon is saying the confession, the priest says a few prayers before communion, which we'll read on page 235. 
He says, For at all times, all glory and all honor and all worship are due to the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now at all times, and to the ages of ages. Amen. If you've got your own literature book, put a triangle next to there, glorification of the Holy Trinity. Then he says a few prayers. Number one, Make us all worthy, O our Master, to partake of your holy body and your precious blood unto the purification of our souls, bodies, and spirits, and unto the remission of our sins and iniquities, that we may be one body and one spirit with you. Glory to you with your good Father and the Holy Spirit forever. Amen. Then another prayer. Loose, remit, and forgive us our sins. Uh, sorry, and forgive us, O God, our transgressions, which we have committed willingly and those we committed unwillingly, which we have committed knowingly and which we have committed unknowingly, the hidden and the manifest. O Lord, remit us for the sake of your holy name, which is called upon us. Can anyone remember where that's from? Anyone know the hymn? Volevo. That's that hymn. If you look at the Coptic, you could say it. According to your mercy, O Lord, and not according to our sins. Okay, same thing. Another prayer. Author of life and King of the ages, Logos of God the Father, our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, the true bread which came down from heaven, the giver of life to those who partake of him. Make us worthy without falling into condemnation, to partake of your holy body and your precious blood. Again, make us worthy. May our partaking of your holy mysteries make us one with you unto the end and bless us. You are the Son of God. Yours is the glory with him and the Holy Spirit, the giver of life forever. Amen. One final prayer. O our Lord Jesus Christ, again, make us worthy to partake of your pure body and your precious blood without it being condemnation for us. Rather, as you have said to your holy disciples, take my body and blood for the remission of your sins. Likewise, may we have communion with your holy disciples partaking of your life-giving mysteries that we may be granted remission of our sins and forgiveness of our iniquities and purity for our souls, bodies, and spirits unto firmness in the faith of your holy name till the last breath. Through the prayers of Our Lady, St. Mary, and of all your saints, Amen. And then the priest says, Our Father. And then we approach for communion. Let's go to the first page. This is very interesting. All right. Now let's read how they used to have communion in the 4th century in Jerusalem. Very, very interesting. Second paragraph. After this, you hear the chanter inviting you with a divine melody to the partaking of the holy mysteries in the words, Taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's an old communion hymn that they used to sing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Entrust not the judgment to your bodily palate. He's trying to say, don't judge what this is by what you taste. Don't entrust your judgment to your bodily palate, but to unwavering faith. For in tasting, we are bidden to taste not bread and wine, but the body and the blood of Christ. Now look at how they receive communion. Coming up to receive then, do not have your wrists extended or your fingers spread, but making your left hand a throne for the right, for it is about to receive a king. And cupping your palms, receive the body of Christ and answer, Amen. So where are they receiving communion? In their hands. Okay? Carefully hallow your eyes by the touch of the sacred body. Okay? And then partake, taking care not to lose of it. To lose any of it. Did you see what happened? How do you partake communion? You take your left hand, put your right hand on top, make sure it's closed. You go up to the priest, he places the body in your hand. Hallow your eyes with it, and you partake carefully. Look what he says. Tell me, if someone gave you gold dust, 
Would you not take the greatest care to hold it fast, so as not to lose any of it and endure it loss? How much more carefully then will you guard against losing so much as a crumb of that which is more precious than gold or precious stone? So we refer to the bits of the body as jewels. And you remember, you have a deacon who's standing with a candle on a cross and a veil, okay? And his job is to watch everything the priest is doing. Because if the priest is giving communion and a part of the body falls, the deacon's supposed to go, Abuna, something fell, you didn't see it. And if a tiny bit falls, you see Abuna, he gets on his knees and he tries to find it. And at the end, when he's cleaning the pattern, he's trying to get as much as he can, every single little speck of the body. Okay, so how do you receive the body back then? In your hands. We'll find out what happened in a second. After partaking of the body of Christ, approach also the cup of his blood. Do not stretch out your hands, but bowing low in a posture of worship and reverence as you say, Amen. Sanctify yourself while partaking of the blood of Christ. While it is still moist upon your lips, touch it with your fingers, and so sanctify your eyes, your forehead, and the other senses. Then wait for the prayer and give thanks to God who has counted you worthy of such mysteries. Now you might say, why can't we just touch the blood now? Well, the church doesn't do that practice, and there's a general rule. We shouldn't stand out in church. So if the church hasn't told us to do that practice, we shouldn't do that. Okay? So during, while Abun has given you communion, he says either out loud or silently, truly this is the body of Emmanuel our God, and the blood, truly is the blood of Emmanuel our God. So what happened is at one stage, I think about the 4th or 5th century, people used to take the body and take it home, either give it to unbelievers or try to do magic with it. So the church said no. The Eastern Orthodox Church, the James John Chrysostom, said we'll put the body in the blood and we'll give you the body and the blood together in a spoon. The, I think the Indian Orthodox Church does that. I don't know if the Syrian Orthodox Church does it with the spoon or by dipping it in the blood and then putting it in your mouth. Okay? The Coptic Church reserved to give the body separately in your mouth and the blood separately as well with the spoon. Okay? So that's what happened in that, with that tradition. Okay? So you receive communion. Okay? So just a practical point. When approaching the chalice, maybe don't do the sign of the cross because a lot of people while doing it sometimes accidentally nudge the chalice. Okay, so it's okay. You could just approach and take the blood. Okay? Turn the page, please. Look at what St. Cyril of Alexandria says. Preserve these traditions unstained. Keep yourselves free from sin. Never cut yourselves off from communion. Never through the pollution of sin deprive yourselves of these sacred spiritual mysteries. Quoting St. Paul. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 And may the God of peace sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to whom be glory unto the ages of ages. Amen. Again, never cut yourselves off from communion. Never through the pollution of sin deprive yourselves of these sacred spiritual mysteries. Like we were saying last week, none of us is worthy. God makes us worthy. We just have to be prepared. And we spoke about that last week. How do we be prepared? We follow the church's prescribed communion fast of either midnight or nine hours, whatever is greater, and we live a life of confession and repentance, and other things as followed by, as guided by your confession, Father. Okay? So the priest gives us communion, he comes back and he cleans the pattern from any, he consumes everything in the pattern, and then he consumes everything in the chalice, and he washes the vessels, and at the end he says a prayer, which can be found on page 244. This is a beautiful prayer as well. Okay? 244. 
Our mouth is filled with gladness and our tongue with rejoicing for our partaking of your immortal mysteries, O Lord. For that which an eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which you, our God, have prepared for those who love your holy name, you have revealed to the little children of your holy church. Okay? Remember how God said, unless you become like these little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Yea, O Father, this is the pleasure before you, for you are merciful. We send up unto you the glory, honor, and O Father, Son, Holy Spirit, now all times of the ages, ages. Amen. Then again, page 245, he continues. Your servants, O Lord, who are serving you, entreating your holy name, and bowing down their heads to you, dwell in them, O Lord, walk among them, aid them in every good deed. Awaken their hearts from every vile earthly thought. Grant them to live and think of that which pertains to the living, and to understand the things that are yours. Through your only begotten Son, our Lord, God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to whom we all and all, we and all your people cry out, saying, Have mercy upon us, O God, our Saviour. Beautiful prayers of thanksgiving. Then what does he do? He places a little bit of water in his hand. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Blesses God the Father, the Pantocrator, Amen. Blesses the Holy, blessed only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, Amen. Blesses the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, Amen. Glory and honor, honor and glory to all Holy Trinity, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. And then he says, O angel of this sacrifice, flying up to the highest with this hymn, remember us before the Lord, that he may forgive us our sins. Let us praise with the angels, saying, and he throws the water, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men. So he dismisses the angel of the sacrifice. So what's interesting is if Abun is taking communion to someone else, He'll still dismiss the angel. He'll take the communion to someone who's sick. He'll say the confession. He'll pray the absolution. He'll give them communion and then he'll dismiss the angel as well because there's always an angel with the sacrifice. Okay? And then he goes around and he does something interesting. He wipes his beard like this and if there's another priest, what does he do? He doesn't touch his head. Sorry, Mark. He goes up to him and he touches his beard. Why? Because it's not right for a priest to give the blessing to someone uh, as well, like a, another priest on his head. So the beard is a sign of the consecration of the priest. So he just touches his beard lightly. And then he touches the heads of the people. Originally, Abuna wouldn't throw water, but he would literally lay hands on everyone. But because of the number of people in church, he sprays the water. Okay, so originally though, he will lay hands. That's why if you read here on page 245, it says the prayer of the laying on of the hands. So he would literally, so what Abuna does now, for the sake of time, he touches the heads of the deacons and then he sprays the water on everyone else. And then he gives us the, the new say, Amen, Alleluia, Vuxabatri, etc. And then page 248, he says the blessing. He says, May God have compassion upon us, bless us, manifest his face upon us, and have mercy upon us. O Lord, save your people. Bless your inheritance, shepherd them up and raise them forever. Exalt the horn of Christians through the power of the life-giving cross and through the supplications and prayers which Our Lady, etc. To the end, so he mentions the saints. Page 250. And the blessing of the Holy Theotokos, St. Mary, first and last. The blessing of the Lord's Day of our Good Saviour, if it's a Sunday. May their holy blessing, their grace, their power, their gift, their love, and their help be with us forever. Amen. O Christ our God, amen, so be it. So be what? What he just said. Okay, the blessing. And then he says, O King of peace, grant us your peace. Establish for us your peace and forgive us our sins. For yours is the power, the glory, the blessing, and the might forever. Amen. Do we say that our Father? And then the priest says on page 252, 
He dismisses you. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, and the communion and gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And he crosses you. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Now that's really important and we'll go through it. Okay? Then following that, the priest prays the last psalm in the third hour. Clap your hands, all your people. Shout to the God of the voice of triumph. And he goes around the sanctuary and takes the blessing of the corners of the altar. So he claps, because the psalm says, clap your hands, all your people. And he kisses every, part, every corner of the altar at the end. Okay? And then he could close the curtain. And as he closes the curtain, he says, so the curtain's open, he goes, O Lord, cover us with your goodness, that the doors of your church may be open to your people forevermore. Amen. O Lord, cover us with your goodness, that the doors of your church may be open to your people forevermore. Amen. And then he gives you the, um, the barakah, the holy bread that was in the basket the, that was offered at the offering. Um, he gives it to everyone. Okay, a couple of things and then we'll finish up. Number one, I couldn't find exactly where, but I remember reading once that St. John Chrysostom says that anyone who leaves the liturgy before Abuna dismisses you is like a fugitive. Okay? So it's heavy. Abuna hasn't told us to go. We shouldn't go. I don't know why we, some of us have this practice where as soon as I have communion, out I go. Grab a sandwich and leave. No. It's like Judas, yeah. I, can't, I don't know where the reference is. If anyone finds it, please send it to me. Okay? But I shouldn't leave until the priest dismisses me. Okay? Now, there's a lot of quotes here which I haven't read. I'll leave you to read it later because just of time. But I want to go to the last page. So the priest says, go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you. So he's sending you somewhere. He's sending you back out into the world to do what we spoke about before. Continue the liturgy after the liturgy. What does that mean? Well, in the liturgy, you, you greeted one another with a holy kiss. You should extend that kiss of peace to everyone. In the liturgy, you said, uh, the priest said, lift up your heart. You said they are with the Lord. After the liturgy, they sh you should try your best to continue leaving your heart with the Lord. But then we have some specific nice quotes I want to read. The second paragraph at the top of the page from Father Lev Gillet. All those who receive communion today should themselves distribute these holy gifts to others around them. This means by their behavior, by their words, which should by no means sermonize, so don't Bible bash, but offer a discreet and loving witness. They are called to radiate the grace which has come upon them. So when I leave church, I'm a different person. People sh should see me and say, yes, this is a Christian. This person has just had communion. I walk out, I'm different. Don't think that you walk in, have communion, walk out just as you were. No. It says, given for the remission of sins and eternal life to those who partake of him. Okay? A uh, Greek Orthodox priest from America, I found this lovely quote that he said, Father Alkiviadis Clivus. I don't know if I pronounce his surname, but it's okay. He says, We are required to return to the world and immerse ourselves in the affairs and circumstances of everyday life, bringing the redemptive power of God and the blessings of the Eucharist to our wounded and broken world. Having partaken of the body of Christ, we must now tend to the needs of the broken human bodies and spirits that are all around us, so that the rays of God's kingdom may shine in the darkness of our fallen world, bringing healing, hope, and joy to the hearts of people until the Lord comes in glory. Beautiful. Okay? So we all walk in to church with a lot of burdens, situations. We might be going through a tribulation or a problem. 
Okay? Now, I might leave church and that tribulation might not have changed. Those circumstances might not have changed. But one thing has changed, and what's that? Me. So I meet these challenges as a different person. Okay? So the situations themselves might not change, but I meet these challenges as a different person. That's why in the liturgy it's nice when we come in to just lay aside all these burdens, put them on the altar, leave them to God, spend that time with God, and then on your way out, you change. And you might be able to handle these circumstances a bit different. Last quote, Metropolitan Callisto Swear. He says, Let us reflect on what happened at the Last Supper. First there was the Eucharistic meal, where Christ blessed the bread and gave it to the disciples. This is my body, and he blessed the cup, this is my blood. The Eucharistic meal and the washing of the feet are a single mystery. So we have to apply that to ourselves. We go out from the liturgy to wash the feet of our fellow humans, literally and symbolically. This is how I understand the words at the end of the liturgy, let us go forth in peace. Peace is to be something dynamic within this broken world. It's not just the quality that we experience within the church's walls. That's nice. When it's not talking about peace that we experience here, no, it's, we have to take out peace to the world. Okay, we meet people and we, we live in a broken world. There's a lot of suffering. And after the Eucharist, after we partake of the Eucharist, when we venture out into the world, we should be people who bring healing, hope and joy to people. So when I, finished, when I leave the liturgy, the same way we prepared for the liturgy, I should do something different after the liturgy. Some people, like in, I know in one of the nunneries in Egypt, one of the monasteries for nuns in Egypt, after the liturgy, there's a silent time for 15 minutes. No one's allowed to talk to each other at all. Okay? Now, that's a bit hard to do in a parish setting because everyone's taking the baraka and then everyone's out. But maybe there's nothing stopping you okay, from just sitting in your spot in church and waiting to the end to take the baraka. Okay? You might be sitting for five, six, seven, ten minutes. Just put your head down, contemplate on the mystery that you've just received. So have some quiet time so that when you go out, you're focused. Okay? I'm not just coming in, having communion and walking out. You know? I'm not just in and out. Okay? I'm walking in with preparation. I came in on time. I understand what's happening. I've heard the Holy Gospel. I've confessed the faith by reciting the creed. I've received the Holy Spirit at the Epiclesis. I've confessed that this is the body and the blood of Christ. I've received him in the Eucharist. And then I will just spend a few minutes in quiet time, take the baraka, go out as a changed person. Okay? I think these are the only quotes that I really wanted to highlight. Actually, one more, sorry. Second page, last paragraph, very short, three lines. Father Alexander Schmemann. As we leave the church and face our life, the Eucharist remains with us as our secret joy and certitude, the source of inspiration and growth, the victory that overcomes evil, the presence which makes our whole life life in Christ. Okay? So I should really ask myself, how am I approaching the Eucharist? Am I just approaching it as something that I do every Sunday? Or when I approach the Eucharist, do I recite the psalm in my head as the deer pants for you, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O Lord. Okay? Or, O taste and see that the Lord is good. I know in the Eastern Orthodox Church they have a lovely communion hymn. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Or there's another one, I think, which says, Receive the body of Christ, taste ye of the fountain of immortality. Is that correct? Receive the body of Christ, 
taste ji of the fountain of immortality. We sing Psalm 150, okay? And then we sing a beautiful melody, Pioik, which we could find on page 242, okay? On page 242, a beautiful melody. I'll just read it very quickly. The bread of life, which came down from, for us from heaven, has given life to the world. And you too, O Mary, have borne in your womb the rational manna which came from the Father. You have brought him forth without blemish. He gave us his holy body and his precious blood, and we live forever. Around you stand the cherubim and the seraphim, and they cannot look at you. We behold you daily upon the altar, and we partake of your body and your precious blood. Therefore we exalt you befittingly with prophetic hymnology, for they spoke honourable things of you, O holy city of the great King. We entreat and pray that we may win mercy through your intercession with the lover of mankind. Okay? Let's stop there. Okay? Glory be to God forever and ever.